Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. It's a somber day in Ukraine today. After 12 months of somber days since Russia invaded the country one year ago, aided by NATO and American weapons and supplies, Ukrainian troops continue to beat back Russian advances, but there is no end in sight to the deadly war. On Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock here on WYPR, NPR's Lila Fadl marks the first year of the war with a special report, Russia's War in Ukraine One Year On. And on Wednesday here on Midday, I'll check in with Eric Hans, the director of the Center for Accountable Investment at the Center for International Private Enterprise. That's a Washington-based affiliate of the U.S. Chamber of Congress, of Commerce, rather, and the National Endowment for Democracy. Eric has worked in Ukraine for years. We spoke with him last year as the invasion began, and we'll get his perspective once again as the war enters its second year. I'll also have a report about opposition to a series of judicial review laws in Israel that are very controversial. So that's coming up next week here on Midday. My guest today is Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. Concerns about public safety are on the front burner for county residents after a fatal shooting in the heart of Towson this week and other instances of violence in the county seat. Also, what does the future hold for Baltimore County Public Schools? Superintendent Daryl Williams will leave in June after a controversial tenure. Teacher pay will likely be a big focus in the upcoming budget. Ethics and accountability are also top of mind. A Blue Ribbon Commission has recommended no oversight board for the County Office of Inspector General. And a long-time, a long-time county employee and political operative is accused of embezzlement and perjury. So we got plenty to talk about with County Executive Olszewski, who joins us on Zoom. Dr. Olszewski, welcome back. Tom, thanks for having us on. No shortage of things to cover today. Indeed. And as I mentioned, crime really does seem to be top of mind these last few weeks uh, in Towson, which is an area that's not known for violent crime by any means, um, has had more than its share. Um, tell us about uh, you know, your, your take on the reasons that there's been so much violence uh, in, in Towson in these past few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'll first say the fact that so many people want to come to Towson just highlights what a vibrant, growing, dynamic um, urban center that it has become over the last several years. So we're actually very proud of what Towson is and the amenities it offers. We think it does attract uh, residents from all over the region and state. The recent incidents are absolutely um, heartbreaking and unacceptable. Um, you know, in, in terms of root causes, we're seeing, unfortunately, um, trends of violence all over the country in the wake of the pandemic, mental health incidents, um, folks not being able to handle uh, conflict appropriately. But what I can tell you is that we are moving forward to make sure that Towson not only is safe, but feels safe. We had a very positive collaborative discussion with the police department, business leaders, community leaders, elected officials. Uh, and in addition to prior steps, we're moving forward with additional patrols from the police department in Towson, uh, including foot patrols, potentially bikes. We've already installed additional cameras throughout Towson, in addition to the 90-some um, percent of coverage that businesses have provided. Um, I'm moving uh, forward with an additional license plate reader in the Towson corridor. Uh, we're having longer-term conversations around things like uh, lighting, graffiti, trash, uh, and then we're also just having additional, you know, collaborative conversations about what else we can do. I was talking to Sheriff Jay Fisher today, who also is offering 
to potentially add even uh, sheriff de- deputies outside of court times to be an additional presence and potentially even adding additional security officers uh, in addition to our police because you know the message is clear. We, we don't tolerate violent behavior in Towson or anywhere in Baltimore County. And our officers have proven that we have a very strong track record of finding, arresting, and holding individuals who commit these crimes uh, accountable. But we also want to do all that we can to stop them in, in the first place, which is why we've really stepped forward and taken all these steps. The director of the Chamber of Commerce uh, reports in the Baltimore Sun that some 95% of Towson streets are already covered by video cameras. Uh, they're also considering evidently adding some private security for Towson businesses. Um, if, if there's so much uh, video surveillance already happening in Towson, what kinds of, what kinds of stuff can you do uh, to, to add to that? Yeah, I mean, so there are a few places we're not at 100% coverage. And we've talked to Nancy Hafford, who's been a great partner in coordinating um, through the Towson Chamber with Towson businesses. We actually had a neighborhood walk earlier in the week. And it was uh, really impressive to see how much pride business owners have in the Towson community, the relationships that they've forged with the police department, how welcome that collaboration is. Uh, but we'll keep pressing forward. And, and uh, Ms. Hafford and I, she knows that I'm talking about doing additional grant funding to finish the job outfitting cameras so that we've got complete coverage so that we are in fact ensuring that we catch people and this is a good way to both prevent and uh you know solve crimes uh, the, the chamber actually has this interesting sticker that's very fun and welcoming but just says to smile that you're on camera that, that businesses are putting out uh, but also just having additional presence and um you know so having more police officers again on foot patrol working with our sheriff um, to potentially have some sheriff deputies, uh, again, outside of those court hours, patrolling the streets of Towson, and working with the chamber to provide the resources for private security to further supplement the efforts. Uh, again, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that um, Towson, again, is not not only is a safe community and remains such, but that people also feel that way, because we know that perception matters and that we want the community to know that we hear them. Uh, we want them to know that government is listening and responding. And that will continue to make sure we do whatever we can and whatever it takes to keep our residents safe. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. My guest today is Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. We're not taking phone calls, but we will try to get some emails and tweets if you are so inclined. Our email address, midday at wipr.org. To tweet us, it's at midday. WIPR. And uh, of course, every act of violence, uh, Mr. County Executive, is different and unique. Um, There was this uh, young man, David Linthicum, who led police on a three-day manhunt. Uh, In the process of that uh, manhunt, he shot at two uh, officers, Baltimore County officers, Detective Jonathan Shee and Officer Barry Jordan. First of all, can you, uh, I mean, Barry Jordan was injured in gunfire uh, when he went to uh, Mr. Linthicum's house. Uh, I guess on the 8th of February, he was released that day. But Dr. John, or Detective Jonathan Shee uh, went to shock trauma here at the University of Maryland uh, in Baltimore. Can you give us an update on uh, the detective's uh, uh, prognosis and, uh, and his condition at this point? Yeah, Tom, thank you for asking for them both. Uh, they are heroes, and the way in which they've handled this um, incident um, put their lives in jeopardy. Uh, for the sake and benefit of others, and just a reminder of what a sacred obligation public safety is. Um, I have had the chance to talk to Officer Jordan, um, as who you mentioned was the first officer injured in the incident. Uh, fortunately, his injuries were relatively minor, um, 
obviously very seriously anytime you're shot, but but relatively minor. Uh, he was out of the hospital in in short order. He's been in good spirits and is uh, has been pushing to get back on the force. He he is uh, an officer of whom we're very proud, and we thank him for for his service. Uh, Detective Chi. Uh, also, we're very excited that he has made it out of shock trauma. Uh, his injuries were much much more severe and serious, um, uh, and just it was been incredible to watch up close the drive and just the absolute uh, unwillingness to to do anything other than, than uh, overcome his challenges and his injuries. Um, I've had a chance to both see him and talk to him several times, and uh, he too is an incredible hero. We're proud of both of them. Um, they have helped make sure that um, this was solved and that no one else was injured. Uh, the other thing I'll just say is what an incredible sense of family uh, the public safety community has. Um, there were hundreds of officers from not just our department, but across the state who were at shock trauma um, for both, but but especially for Detective Chi um, and just the, the incredible outreach of support. We had the governor uh, come visit with the family uh, who with me talked to our, our officers who have been on standby throughout um, both of their time at shock trauma. Uh, I'll just also just, if I, if I may thank shock trauma for being such a great institution, um, the, the, the training and the, uh, you know, sense of mind that both um, detective Chi and officer Jordan had in terms of executing their training, but also uh, following protocols that coupled with the, the healthcare that we have at shock trauma, uh, certainly in the case of Detective Chi, saved his life. And uh, again, we just can't thank them enough for what they've done. We're glad to see that they're both out. Uh, we hope to have Officer Jordan back on the force soon, if not already. And we're really excited to have uh, Detective Chi um, in a rehab facility and out. So just want to thank the public for their concern uh, for both of these officers um, again, they're, they're heroes, and we're so lucky to have them as part of our team and our family. And in terms of the incident that that led to uh, you know these two officers being injured, uh, it appears uh, that there are a lot of indications that this was a mental health crisis on the part of the assailant. Um, in terms of the police response to mental health crises, this is a, a question that folks in Baltimore City are confronting, folks in PG, uh, Prince George's County are confronting and all over the country. Uh, the way that police respond to mental health crises, is there, uh, in your view, a, a proper procedure uh, for police training in handling uh, crises of mental health in particular? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that we're working with Acting Chief Delp and his team for a full analysis of the actual incident to really understand it. But clearly, two things that come to mind as a result of this incident are a reminder of the challenges that mental health provide uh, or offer to public safety and just our engagement with the public, but also the importance of making sure that assault weapons um, aren't in the hands of the wrong wrong individuals, uh, whether that's uh, you know a known repeat criminal or someone who has and is experiencing mental health challenges. So, um, but what I can say is that we know that mental health is a real challenge so that in Baltimore County, we have expanded significantly our um, mobile health, um, our mobile crisis team and their efforts um, so that we have clinicians next to uh, police officers. And then relatedly, we also are very proud of our efforts to have a health, mental health clinician in our 911 call center. So, as these calls come in, we can better route them 
Um, sometimes a response might be more appropriate for a service provider than for the police department. So that we even even before we think about something like our mobile crisis teams going out, we're we're on the very front end at the very beginning of the process, um, sort of moving these calls in the right direction to the right provider. And uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, earlier, and again, I don't want to be one of those guys who you know, constantly uh, just gives the litany of of problems. But uh, in addition to this uh, incident that led to the two officers being shot, on the 12th of February uh, in the Towson area, there was a man who was shot in his car. Another man was stabbed. Earlier this month, three women were raped and robbed at gunpoint on Allegheny Avenue behind that bagel place. Um, we had this 17-year-old uh, young man, Treshawn Harmon. He was shot to death uh, right up the street from the Towson Town Center, which is a you know a gathering place for kids, uh, not just from the county but from from the city as well. Um, it, it it brings up uh, something that I've talked to you know lots of leaders, uh, mayors, and and jurisdictional county executives over the years. You know what is the what is your capacity to stem a tide of violence like this uh, when it comes to, to a government response. It's, it's obviously not just a police response, as you've just mentioned. There's a, a mental health component sometimes. Um, but but as, as you, you know, enter your second term now, um, what are you thinking about uh, in terms of what you can do as a county executive and what the county council can do and what a government institution can do to, to put a stop to this kind of uh, violence? Yeah, it's not where we want to be at all, and we have to do better. And that's our obligation as leaders is to continue to innovate and step up and provide more resources. As you said, it's not just a public safety thing, but one of the things that we are doing is investing more in public safety, both in the aggregate but also in in the short term, uh, given some of the challenges, particularly in Towson, which is why we're stepping up with a license plate reader, with more cameras, with more sheriffs, private security, police patrols, um, but also not losing sight of those larger issues about mental health um, around domestic violence. I mean, we really track and use data to help inform our decision-making. And we know last year, for example, that nearly half of our homicides, which were down almost 40%, but almost half of our homicides have either a domestic violence or a mental health or both connection. And so, uh, you know, we can't do this alone. But we can't also just throw our hands up. We have to be proactive and do whatever we can to make sure that our communities remain safe. Um, you know, in the aggregate, Baltimore County is is and remains a very safe place to live, work, and raise a family. In Towson, across across the county, but both both these specific incidents are very troubling, uh, and also perception matters. So we, we, this is why we sit down and why we engage. We had an hour conversation with those chamber business community leaders, elected officials, government uh, officials before we did the walk because people deserve to be heard. We're going to keep putting solutions on the table. Um, you know, this, this is, uh, you know, we, the best way to, to fight crime is to stop it in the first place. So whether that's providing recreation and park opportunities or employment opportunities or addressing mental health and domestic violence in more creative ways. We're going to keep doing that, but that doesn't mean we can't also um, try to step up and do whatever we can in the immediate uh, term to make sure that we're stopping any additional crime from happening, uh, particularly in places like Towson, which has seen an unfortunate surge of high-profile incidents that sort of shined a light on the need here. 
Yeah, we do want to make sure that people are clear when you talk about uh, the importance of perception. Overall, crime is down. Uh, there was an increase in simple assaults, according to the Baltimore Sun, uh, but aggravated assaults in the Towson area are down. Um, but, you know, robberies are down. Uh, property crimes like theft and shoplifting went down. Burglaries are down uh, here in Baltimore City uh, the, on this day. Uh, in 2022, 51 people have been murdered as of this day in 2023. 38 people have been murdered. So that's down. The non-fatal shootings are down here in the city as well. Um, so it, it's not as if, um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing a continued spike in crime as we did during the pandemic in particular. But um, battling that perception that uh, all of a sudden, uh, it, it, it's not safe to go to the Towson Town Mall or the Whole Foods or something in Towson uh, is a difficult task, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, sometimes we are battling the reality as much as we're, we're battling the perception. And so uh, I really appreciate you pointing out in particular, if you compare pre-pandemic numbers to where we are now, um, many ca- categories are down and down significantly in terms of crime. But again, you know, we're we battling not just the actual crime numbers and trends and what's happening, but it, but really it is it really is this perception. So um, this is why I think it's so important that we're proactive, that we're working with the community to, to share that information, to ask what else they need to not only be safe but also feel safe. Because that that's that's ultimately our goal is that folks not only actually are and the numbers support that, but that they also feel that way that they are telling their neighbors and friends, yes, it's okay to still go to Towson. I can still walk with my dog. I can still go to dinner. I can catch a movie. Um, I mean, I, I, my county seat is out here, so I, I spent a lot of time in and around Towson. We have a lot of employees out here. Um, and our message to them as well is that this, this remains an incredibly safe neighborhood, but we're going to also do all that we can to ensure that you both are safe and feel safe in your interactions, in your work, in, in your life. Do you see the county moving uh, in the way the city has towards uh, what are referred to as community violence intervention uh, ecosystems, uh, things like Safe Streets or ROCA here in Baltimore City, where you've got trusted messengers uh, talking to folks who are at risk? Of course, this young man who was shot, the 17-year-old, doesn't live in Baltimore County. He's a Baltimore City resident uh, who was in the county. Um, but but do you see uh, a need for, for that kind of programming in Baltimore County as well? Absolutely. And and it's actually timely that you asked the question. We actually have started a partnership with ROCA uh, as part of our Essex Community Initiative. I mean, again, using data to inform where we should be making investments like that. Uh, across the county, we know that we needed the uh, mental health clinician in our 911 call center because it doesn't matter where those calls come in doesn't matter you know we wanted to expand our mobile crisis team because we want those to be everywhere but we did see Essex was one of the hardest hit communities both by the pandemic also things like social vulnerability and crime numbers so we actually have partnered with ROCA to do uh, a program here in Baltimore County um, engaging those vulnerable at-risk youth um, in the Essex community to try to do the violence prevention and interruption and you know we will continue to track the successes there Assuming it works, we're going to also look at potentially expanding that to other parts of the county. Um, but really, you know, this is something that we're proud to be doing. Um, it, it is sort of that holistic approach that we're going to both invest more in, in the brave men and women, the Officer Jordans, the Detective Chiefs who step up and risk their lives for the health and well-being of our neighbors, but also doing all that we can to catch people before they turn to crime 
and even on the back end, um, once they're out of uh, the detention system, help, helping them reintegrate into society so they don't turn back to it. So it really has to be the whole spectrum in, for, in order for this to work, and that's the approach that we're taking here in Baltimore County. It's midday. My guest is Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. We'll have more with the county executive on the other side of a quick break. We aren't taking calls, but we are happy to take your emails and tweets. Our email address, midday at wipr.org. You can find us in the Twittersphere at Midday WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, member-supported 88.1 WYPR, Baltimore's NPR news station. Thanks, Matt, and thank you for sticking with us today here on Midday. By the way, coming up Monday on Midday, the new music director of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra will join me. Jonathan Hayward will talk about the plans that he's made for his first season, which begins in the fall. Plus, we'll have a reflection on the historical significance of President Jimmy Carter with James Zogby, a co-founder and president of the Arab Institute. So that's on the way Monday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us today, my guest is Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. We're not taking calls, but we are taking emails and tweets. One, or excuse me, our email midday at wypr.org and to tweet us, it's at midday wypr. So County Executive, um, you created about three years ago uh, an office of Inspector General uh, in the county. Kelly Madigan is the county's first uh, person to hold that office. Uh, there's been some scrutiny uh, to Ms. Madigan by council members, um, and you appointed a Blue Ribbon Commission uh, to explore whether or not uh, the Office of Inspector General should be uh, under the scrutiny of uh, an oversight uh, entity. Uh, they have uh, they took about eight months to think about this, and they have said uh, that that is not uh, what is needed. We do not need an oversight board for the county inspector general. So do you support the commission's recommendation? What do you think? Yeah, I'll just start by saying I'm proud that we created the office of the inspector general. It's one of the first actions I took as county executive to make sure that we do have an open, accessible, and transparent government. It's part of making uh, this government, I think, the most transparent, accessible, and transparent ever. Uh, we want to continue to innovate and ensure our government upholds the highest standards of ethics and accountability. So we appreciate we had experts come together from Common Cause, a former state inspector general, and is really thankful for their expertise and time. I think their recommendations are very sound and remain committed to implementing best practices that enshrine these values as we move forward. Uh, for me, the next step really, really seems to be around the idea of budgeting. We are in budget season in Baltimore County. So, for example, one of the recommendations um, from the commission was to have uh, independent counsel where there's potential conflict. And so that's one of the recommendations that is a very specific budget uh, issue and is you know, now in the conversation as we're planning out how to spend our dollars in the year ahead. So that, that represents some of the most logical next steps, even as we fully review all the recommendations um, and, and their implications and look forward again to implementing all of the best practices to ensure this is an, an office that outlives me. I want it to be successful and thriving um, for administrations to come. 
And Mr. County Executive, we're having some trouble with your line on your Zoom connection, so our uh, director is going to uh, touch base with you about how to fix that problem. If you have just joined us, uh, listeners, we are talking to Johnny Olszewski, Jr. He is the Baltimore County Executive. He was elected uh, this past November for a second term, uh, which will be his final term uh, in Baltimore County. The county executives are term limited. Uh, his margin of victory was more than substantial, some 63 percent over Republican Pat McDonough. Our email address, if you have a question or comment for the county executive, midday at WIPR.org. To tweet us, it's at midday WIPR. We do have an email from uh, a listener in Towson uh, who says, uh, why hasn't drug dealing been discussed? There are blatant instances of drug dealing in Towson. Rape is unconscionable. These instances cannot be whitewashed. Uh, as there is no spike in crime. Uh, she says that I'm letting you off the hook. Uh, this Towson neighborhood is not safe. This is, again, uh, a matter of uh, perception. Uh, again, the, the statistics are, are simply uh, you know, what they are, and there are fewer incidents uh, of uh, violent crime and assaults uh, and burglaries and robberies, etc., than there have been in years past. Um, but this this is a, a, a listener, a Mr. County Executive, who just has uh, a perception that Towson uh, isn't safe. Um, we also have an email from Natalie who says, how many police officers are available for patrol in any given shift? Uh, is the precinct uh, in Towson fully staffed? She says, I recall not long ago when there were only 20 officers available in an evening shift to patrol a huge area of Baltimore County. So, um, County Executive, again, you're, you're, you're in a situation with the police department. Uh, Chief Melissa Hyatt uh, has left, and there's an, there's an interim uh, police chief now, uh, Chief Delp, um, but, and there's a search for a permanent uh, police chief. But, uh, of course, it's, it's uh, difficult to, to make any long-term plans when we're in an interim situation. Uh, but we've got uh, again, this 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 perception, uh, both in in uh, the Baltimore County Police Department as well as police departments uh, across jurisdictions in Maryland and elsewhere, that there is simply a huge shortage of police officers. So, how would you assess the uh, the, uh, the the staffing uh, issues at uh, in the Baltimore County Police Department? Do we have enough officers? Yeah, I mean, so. And did you have me back, Tom? Yeah, I can hear you. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I wonder you if you could you hear any of what I just asked you. I got most of it. Yeah, and I apologize for the connection issues uh, out here. Um, I will just say, you know, staffing issues are a challenge across the board. Um, there's something that police departments are facing everywhere. Um, we are looking actively in this budget cycle, as I mentioned on the Inspector General question, to do whatever we can to help promote and retain and recruit. Um, we just had a very large, diverse class last night that we graduated, um, but we don't have enough officers. We're, we are short. Um, it, it's a challenge that all departments are facing. Uh, it's part of the reason why the response is not just redeploying some of our officers and, and using overtime to get more patrols in Towson, but it's why we're partnering with affiliated agencies like the Sheriff's Department. It's why we're exploring grants for private security to really bolster um, our ability to respond in a meaningful way. One of the things that the pandemic has shown to all of us is that governments have to be creative in solving challenges and solutions. 
And there's no reason that that sort of same innovation can't or shouldn't continue into um, crime fighting and public safety. Um, and so that's exactly what we're doing in this space, even as we struggle with some of those challenges as well. Uh, and when we uh, talk about ethics and accountability, there's this uh, man, Chris McCollum, who was an economic development <clears throat> official uh, in Baltimore County. He had been a longtime uh, Democratic uh, b- political operative. Uh, he has been charged with 21 counts of felony theft and embezzlement and perjury. He evidently stole uh, quite a bit of money, more than $110,000 from former county councilwoman Kathy Bevin's campaign. Um, what, what is your history with, uh, with Chris McCollum? Do you know him? Has he ever raised money for you? Uh, and how do you think it is that, you know, a, a, a sitting official with Baltimore County, uh, can be involved in, uh, you know, allegedly involved in, in such nefarious behavior for so long? Yeah. I mean, I will just say that the, the, the allegations, uh, against him are very concerning. They're, they're deeply concerning. Um, and we certainly believe that justice should be served in, in this case. Um, I was not aware of any of these charges um, while he was a, uh, an employee in Baltimore County government. Um, and so I just you know, would say that uh, it's one of those things where you, you don't really know what a person's doing. Um, we, we hope that we try to create a culture where um, ethics and um, accountability is sort of embedded in our ecosystem. It's why it's in such a thrust of mind here in Baltimore County. And, you know, there's obviously a judicial process that has to play out. But um, if, if these allegations are true, um, they're very, very concerning. And uh, we do hope that the justice process plays out and it, it is served in this case. We have another email from a listener, Pat, who says, when it comes to the police, we have one of the best police departments in the country, and I'm sure that this spike in crime in Towson will be handled well by the county police. So Pat is one that has, uh, you know, great confidence in the county police department. Um, Where do things stand with the search for a new police chief? Well, I'll first just thanks, Pat, for uh, your comments. I, I share your sentiment that I, I think we have one of the best departments in the country. I'm very proud of the work that they're doing. Our clearance rate is um, very high, far above the national average, and they often uh, quickly resolve a lot of the concerns. And I, again, do share your confidence. On the police chief search, uh, we are actively in process. Uh, I've established a community-based um, screening committee that was doing all of the initial reviews of resumes, the first round of interviews. I believe those recently have um, been concluded and that they are going through the process of determining which of the candidates will be forwarded to myself and a few other uh, very senior government leaders for a second round of interviews and, and deeper discussion uh, with a smaller group. I'll just say, you know, to Pat's point about this department, We've had, uh, I believe, over 25 or 30 outstanding applicants from all over the country, local candidates, uh, other police departments, people who share that sentiment that this is uh, both one of the largest and one of the best police departments in the country and who want to come here and lead um, and lead on a lot of really important issues that are before us, Um, you know, ideas that we can both have public safety and be equitable in our policing, someone who understands the need for data who believes in community policing, who's committed to any number of issues that are out there. And I'm confident that uh, in the next few weeks, um, we hope to have uh, at least an offer, uh, if not an acceptance and an announcement, uh, to to continue the progress. In the meantime, uh, Acting Chief Delp, I just want to thank him quickly for his leadership and his work. 
Uh, he's been a longtime leader in this department and uh, has really stepped up in important ways to keep our, our department moving forward. What was uh, Chief Melissa Hyatt not doing that you want the next police chief to do? Well, you know, I, I say it was, as it relates to individual leaders, uh, they come and go for a variety of reasons, and we're really focused on moving ahead. Um, and so what we want the next chief to do is to, again, uh, be focused on both um, being strong in their policing, but also ensuring that it, it's equitable policing. We can and we want someone to do both. We want someone committed to uh, being rooted in the community and working with our community partners. Uh, we want a police chief who believes in using data to help drive our deployments and our work um, to help catch crime criminals. Um, we were looking for a chief who is taking seriously um, the sexual assault and the rape kits and ensuring that we are doing all that we can to process those and uh, close cases that are outstanding here in Baltimore County. And, uh, you know, really just someone who believes in this, this department, who understands its history, uh, who understands where it is, uh, but who also is committed to its future. So uh, I'm confident we're going to have that person moving forward. And uh, really that's our focus is having um, whomever the next chief is really check those boxes and lead this department in a positive way forward. And let me ask you the same kind of question about the Baltimore County school system. Uh, Superintendent Daryl Williams uh, will not seek a second term. It seems that if he had sought a second term, he wouldn't have gotten it from the school board. Uh, his uh, term uh, expires in uh, June, the end of June this year, he'll stick around until then. Um, but what are you looking for? It seemed to me, as I read between the lines in your statements when uh, the superintendent announced that he was not going to be uh, continuing his tenure uh, as the superintendent in, in Baltimore County, uh, that you weren't all that uh, dismayed by that news. Um, what are you looking for? And I, and I know, again, this is a, a matter for the Baltimore County School Board. Uh, you do not have you know, royal power to... Uh, uh, appoint a, a school superintendent, but you're a former teacher in the Baltimore County Public Schools. Um, education is certainly something that's, uh, you know, a high priority for you. You've got a kid who's in the Baltimore County Public Schools. Um, what, what are you looking for? Uh, what do you think the, the school board should be looking for uh, in terms of uh, a new superintendent? And, and, and what was it that Daryl Williams wasn't doing uh, that you want this next person to do? I think you hit the nail on the head across the board about how deeply personal this is for me, Tom, uh, as someone who was a student in the system, a teacher in the system, now a parent in the system. This really is um, something that I'm, I'm passionate about. Uh, I can tell you that we're very proud that we've invested record funding locally, uh, including the largest maintenance of effort increase in the county's history by a dollar amount in this most recent budget. Um, there's, there's all this additional support coming down from the Blueprint for Maryland's Future, the school system has seen almost $400 million of infusion of federal dollars. And look, a lot of this is needed, especially in light of the pandemic. But what I'm looking forward to is someone who takes um, seriously the need to really in make these investments work. Um, the, the numbers that came out recently on our test scores on those students proficient in math and reading were unacceptable to me. Um, we don't want to have incidents of violence in our, our schools. And so we're ready to continue to partner with whomever the superintendent is. Again, this is a, a future-looking orientation. Um, but, so on top of our investment, I've already said to the school board and to the superintendent, um, you know, the, the county is committed to, on top of the historic funding that's already been provided, um, for the next four years to do at least $10 million above the required maintenance of effort in the next four years' budget so that we can continue um, 
paying our teachers. We've moved from middle of the pack to having our teachers be among some of the best paid in the state here in Baltimore County. We're proud of that, but we have more to do. Uh, even though we've lost uh, about 4,000 students um, through the pandemic that we haven't recovered yet, uh, we've not only uh, sustained our staffing, we grew it by over 300 people over the past four years. So the investments have been real. They've been there. Uh, my focus in working with the board and the next superintendent really is getting a return on that investment because we only get one shot at uh, helping our young people through our public schools. We have a captive audience. We can really set them on a positive trajectory. So uh, we just we can't settle for uh, mediocrity. We have to demand excellence. And that's my commitment, uh, working in partnership, you know, as you pointed out. We don't make the decisions about day-to-day operations, but we certainly are an important funder in, in their work, and we expect to have a return on that investment. So TABCO, which is the Teachers Association of Baltimore County, uh, their union uh, has been uh, has expressed uh, more than a little concern about the lack of raises for teachers uh, in the proposed budget. Uh, there's a scheduled step increase, but uh, according to our colleagues at the Baltimore Banner, it does not include a cost of living adjustus, adjustment, uh, given the fact that there's uh, you know rising inflation. So they've been um, you know advocating for a starting salary of sixty thousand uh, dollars a year. They, they have a number of uh, suggestions that were not in the, the the budget proposed by Superintendent Williams, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also 162 vacant teacher positions that are. Uh, there's a proposal to cut them. Uh, these are, these are positions that currently don't have anybody in them. Uh, but you mentioned declining enrollment. Um, that's one of the reasons. But the union is concerned about that. Uh, we do have to take a, a, a break pretty quickly. But can I ask you to respond to those concerns? Sure. Um, And if we need to catch it on the other side, that's fine, too. But we've put forward uh, record funding, as I said. There's record state funding. There's been a lot of federal funding. Um, In the middle of last year, we did an additional step and some other one-time increases uh, on top of what was already in the budget from last year. Uh, I'm committed to continuing to fund record funding. Um, You know, there is, uh, at the end of the day, the school system, what it does with that funding um, really should be directed towards, I believe, in, in Proving and enhancing our salaries, so I understand the concerns. Uh, I was a member of. So Tabco you think a step increase, a, a step increase, is possible, and a cost of living adjustment uh, is possible? Well, we're going to review the budget that's ultimately submitted by the school board. But my direction to all of my agencies, on both the general government side and in working with our partner organizations, is I really am hoping to see almost all of the increases that are allowed. They're, they should be applied towards uh, salaries. We should be doing everything we can to attract and retain. We're going to hit the 60,000 number consistent with the requirements of Blueprint, but we want that to be the baseline and not the, the, you know, the final solution. Um, we're going to use all of our spending affordability that's placed upon us by the county council. And again, really, we're going to try to drive almost all of the allowable increases in our budget this year towards salary. Um, about half of our budget goes to the school, so I would imagine that would be consistent with um, our, our typical spending patterns, but I hope any increases they get really help ensure that teachers and support personnel, bus drivers, ESPs, um, teachers, principals, um, are all getting um, their salaries enhanced because we need them. They're such critical parts of our educational ecosystem. All right. I need to follow through on my threat to take a break. We're going to do that real quickly. We will have more with Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. Uh, When we come back to join us, our email midday at WIPR.org, our Twitter handle at midday WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back.
This is your public radio member-supported 88.1 WIPR, Baltimore's NPR news station. Welcome back. It is midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you just joined us, our focus today is on Baltimore County with County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. To join us, our email midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. So, Mr. County Executive, I want to ask you about the bill that passed in the County Council uh, a couple of weeks ago banning plastic carryout bags uh, for certain uh, retail establishments in Baltimore County. Uh, Do you think that's a good idea? Do you see that sort of thing expanding in any way uh, as we move forward? I, I do think it's a good idea. I was proud to support legislation, proud to sign it. It was a strong bipartisan vote. Um, so I want to thank and commend the members of the council who stepped up to do this. Uh, it was kind of staggering to me, uh, Tom, to learn that uh, we have a million single-use plastic bags a day in Baltimore County. So you're talking almost 350 million bags a year that are littering our trees, our waterways, tangling up our recycling facility. Um, so this is, I think, a common sense step forward where we've seen other states uh, across Maryland, other counties and, and municipalities have done this. Um, again, uh, strong bipartisan vote. I think a common sense measure that builds on the sustainability work that we've done in Baltimore County around resilience and green energy and um, urban trees. And so just was excited to support it and uh, proud of the work that we're doing there. And, uh, you know, to address some of the concerns, particularly around lower income residents. Uh, but for all of our residents, we're also going to provide reusable bags in advance of the law's implementation in November, working with uh, community groups to make sure that they're distributed and that folks who, who need it so that they can avoid uh, any potential costs, um, that they have that opportunity as well before the law takes effect. Uh, we have an email from a listener, Bill, uh, about the relationship between Baltimore City and Baltimore County. My good friend Jane Miller uh, was sitting in for me a few days ago and had a conversation about, you know, a sort of perennial uh, topic that people talk about from time to time, which is, you know, merging certain services. Uh, we think about transportation. We think about water and wastewater uh, with Baltimore County and Baltimore City. Uh, the two uh, jurisdictions being separate uh, is, is an anomaly when it comes to most, uh, you know, uh, urban areas in the uh, in the country. Do you see any particular... Uh, opportunities for uh, cooperation between the city and the county uh, when it comes to, to issues like this? Uh, and do you, do you think this is just one of those issues that'll, you know, remain an abstract idea for a lot of people? Or do you see any, any you know, real uh, uh, solid uh, ways forward to, uh, to reduce costs by uh, getting rid of uh, overlapping uh, entities and, and, and overlapping services? Sure. I mean, I'll just start by saying I'm a big believer in this region. Uh, I believe a strong city is to the benefit of the county and vice versa. Uh, proud of, you know, working with city leadership uh, in partnership to find ways to, to move the ball forward. Um, you know, we actually do have some shared services and needs currently. I mean, as you pointed out, the water and wastewater is a great example. Um, and I think to the extent we can get those things right, um, we improve that connective tissue between our jurisdictions in really positive ways. Uh, we recently announced a, a work group with Mayor Scott um, where we're going to look at both the governance but also things like billing, capital infrastructure planning, because it really is a, it's a outdated system, um, something that's older than both the mayor and myself. Uh, so I'm looking forward to passing that legislation and getting some recommendations as to how to make 
uh, our water and wastewater system best in class so that we show that we can have regional um, efforts that are together that really benefit all of our residents. Uh, similarly, um, I'm a big supporter of some of the regional transit efforts that are before the General Assembly this, this, this year. Um, moving our, our residents around doesn't stop at a border uh, or an ar- arbitrary line. So I think there are some real opportunities there as well. And I think to the extent we get those, those kinds of things right, where there is um, existing partnership or needs for partnership, uh, that that will only strengthen our, our regional efforts and be to the benefit of all of our, our shared residents. Uh, let me ask you a question uh, that John Lee and I were talking about. John Lee, of course, uh, from WIPR's news team who covers Baltimore County, does a great job. He's reported that uh, you have said in the past you support expanding the size of the Baltimore County Council. It's currently at seven members, uh, and there's been some talk about expanding it to nine members. Uh, do you plan to introduce legislation to put that issue uh, on the 2024 ballot? I've said, yeah, and John has covered this uh, very well, um, in addition to other issues, uh, I've said pretty consistently I don't believe that in light of the growth of our jurisdiction, we're very large, we're very diverse, our population has exploded since the council's initial size. I do think uh, expanding from seven to nine members is the appropriate step forward. Um, I am in conversations with our legislative team, with members of the council, to figure out when and what might be the appropriate next step to really tackle this issue. Um, I want to commend the residents of Baltimore County who have been working on on this issue. Um, But but again, I'm pretty clear on where I am um, and looking forward to finding ways to ensure that uh, this community of almost 900,000 residents, larger than four states, um, has appropriate representation, not just from me, but from council members who do critical work. Uh, But what I've learned in my travels talking to executives from across this country is that Baltimore County is unique, not just in our size, but the fact that we have no municipalities, uh, we provide pretty much all of the services uh, across the entire jurisdiction. And so having, uh, I think, government that's closer to the people is always a good thing, but especially in light of how we've uh, diversified and how we've grown, that, that an expansion would be appropriate. And I'm very hopeful that we can find a path forward to have an expansion on the ballot um, next election with the council. Will you be in- introducing that legislation yourself? And if so, when do you expect to do that? Uh, I, you know, at this point, as I said, we're in conversations with our government affairs staff. We're in conversations with council members, and we hope to have a path forward in the coming weeks um, in terms of what the appropriate next steps are, given sort of our opinion on the matter and, uh, frankly, uh, a lot of the public's desire to see that expanded representation. I uh, just have a few seconds left. Uh, you and uh, Mayor Scott here in Baltimore have uh, uh, asked that the date of the 2024 primary election be moved. It's currently for the scheduled for the 23rd of April in 2024. That conflicts with Passover. Uh, they want to move it uh, earlier. What, do you, what, do, what chances do you give that legislation? This is something that the legislature has to do in Annapolis. Do you think that that'll uh, be able to pass? Yeah, I, I, I give it a I think it's likely that this is going to be taken up. Um, the mayor and I sent a letter to uh, President Ferguson and Speaker Jones, um, who have been champions for expanding access to the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who won my first election for county executive by 17 votes, I know just how important it is to ensure that we we, we give as many opportunities to participate in the process Great. as possible. Well, that's all the so, time we have. I'm, 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 yep. Okay, I'm, we're hopeful that it passes, too, because I think that's a, kind of a no-brainer. Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks. 
That's it for us today. Coming up Monday, a conversation with the new music director of the Baltimore Symphony, Jonathan Hayward. We'll also have an appreciation of President Jimmy Carter from James Zogby. And uh, coming up now, the final installment in our series of Black History Month specials. Stay tuned for Witness History from the BBC World Service. Has some great interviews looking at the African-American experience. That happens at the top of the hour. Midday's director and engineer is Shania Mapson. Luke Spickmill is WIPR's director of operations. Terea Rogers, Rob Sivak, and Mallory Pinkard Pierre produce our program. Austin Coglin from Clean Cuts wrote and recorded the midday theme music. I'm Tom Hall. I appreciate that you listen. Thanks. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Midday with Tom Hall on your public radio. This is 881 WYPR.